great to be here today. It's great to see all of you. Let me grab this or I'll get in trouble. <laughs> so uh, it's great to see all of you. And if you're visiting, we're very glad you're here. And uh, I am not the pastor. I'll make that clear right now. If you're visiting, I'm not the pastor. And all the people said amen. <laughs> I'm here to give you uh, an announcement on our small group ministry. My name's John Burnett, for those of you who don't know me, and I'll be leading a small group study on the judgment seat of Christ. It'll be on Sunday nights. It'll be in a home in the area, probably Springville. And uh, I picked this subject because um, I think a lot of Christians push the judgment seat of Christ off in the back of their mind, and they don't see it as a, as a serious judgment because... We're all going to heaven, aren't we, on grace through faith. It's the work of Christ, not us. And so we think there'll be mercy at the judgment seat, and there will. But it's going to be a serious judgment with loss and with gain for Christians. Uh, the Apostle Paul understood that. He said this at the earlier part of his ministry. He said in Corinthians, Therefore it is our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. And I think that was always on Paul's mind when he was ministering. He knew he would answer to the Lord someday for how faithful he was in his ministry. And at the end of his life, he said this, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul understood that the judgment seat of Christ was serious. And he lived his life with that eternal view. Um, some of the things we're going to address in this, um, I have to admit, my knowledge of the judgment seat was pretty sparse. And so I had a lot of questions. And these are a few of the questions I had and that we're going to try to answer. First of all, why is it even necessary for Christ to judge us? We're going to heaven, aren't we? Why is it necessary to judge Christians? When is this judgment going to happen? Here's one that always had bothered me. Is this going to be a public judgment or a private judgment? I'm hoping for private. <laughs> um, what is the basis of the judgment? In other words, what is Christ looking for in our life that he's going to judge us on? And what are the rewards? Uh, what are the crowns? Are they, are they literal crowns or are they metaphors for something else? Those are just some of the things that we're going to look at when we study this. And uh, if you're interested in this study or any other studies that are being offered, uh, I'd encourage you to go ahead and sign up. It makes it a lot easier uh, on Amanda and all the others uh, to organize these things. So thank you. I'm Philip Hansen, if you don't know me. Uh, maybe we'll meet before too long. 
There is a federal law that says that if one works on air brakes on a heavy-duty truck, they must attend a class. Before I retired, which I'm sort of retired, as I see Dean laughing because he always asked me to play golf and I'm always working. So anyway, before I retired, one of the aspects of my job was that I taught this heavy-duty class, this air brake class. These classes are very regimented. You, you start at the beginning, you go through the whole system, the air brake system, and so it takes about two hours. But nevertheless, they're very regimented on the material you must cover, how you must cover it, how it's done, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how many classes are done. They're done in school. We went through school that way. Today, we attend classes oftentimes, and, and there's a beginning and then at the end, there's an application. Last time we had small, the last semester, I call it semesters. I don't know what else to call it. When we had the, the small groups, I was asked to use this little book called A Survey of Bible Doctrine by Charles Ryrie. It's a really good book. It has a lot of information in it. It's nine chapters long and said, yeah, you can do one chapter a week and get it done. Well, after studying the book a little while and seeing what was in it, I told Thad and Steve Bartlett, I said, there is no way it's going to happen that way. So I changed my whole teaching attitude. I said, we're going to begin, and when 8 o'clock comes, we're going to stop. Begin at 6.30, 8 o'clock, we stop. No matter where we were in the book, it didn't matter if we were on page 2, page 7, wherever we were, that's where we would stop, and we would pick it up again the next week. That's what we started out doing, and it worked fabulous for me. I loved it, I, and I think the people in the class loved it because we would go off down rabbit trails. We stayed in the Scripture, but we would go off in these rabbit trails. People had questions. People had comments. I just I loved doing it that way. I mean, we were under no constraints to finish a particular chapter at a particular time, and I just loved it. So we're continuing that this for a small group this time. We will start picking up. Uh, incidentally, if you were not in it and you want to catch up, go ahead and sign up because we will order more books as needed for those who are new in the class. I'll do a quick review of some of the topics that we we went through the last time. We got through chapter four of the nine chapters where we got through. And uh, we will start in chapter five with the new information on the world of angels. Do you know what the Bible says about angels? Many, many people don't. Many people who have been Christians for a long time they have no idea what the Bible really says about angels. So that's where we're going to be starting. Now, <clears throat> one of the things we did a little different is that our class starts at 6.30 here at the church on Sunday evenings. We end at 8, as I said. We just stop. Put a little mark in my notes, and that's where we pick it up the next time. But our class decided they like to eat. I kind of 
push that, but that's okay. We all like to eat. And that time hits right in our supper wheelhouse. So our class said, well, why don't we start eating at 6? That way we don't use up the eating time or use up the study time and eating. So we start eating at 6, food, finger food kind of stuff, but good finger food. And then we start our study at 6.30. And it worked out, it worked out really good last time. I see no reason why it wouldn't work out this time. So if you're interested, sign up early so we can make sure we get enough books ordered. And uh, I encourage you to, to join. If you don't join our group, join us another small group. You'll love it. I'll promise you. I'm proud of you, Phil, taking all that time for those chapters. boy. <laughs> um, well, if, when Phil speaks of finger foods, he's talking about shrimp. So... <laughs> All God's people said amen to that, right? All right. I wanted to just make a couple of announcements uh, this morning and um, reiterate what uh, John emphasized in the beginning. If you're visiting with us today, that really thrilled you're here to worship the Lord. That's why we come on Sunday mornings. We want to worship Him, and we get to do that together. You think about all the hours we have in a week, 168 of them, we only get to spend this short period of time in worship of the Lord I think one day we'll get to spend eternity together worshiping our Lord Jesus. So I wanted to just make mention of a few things uh, this morning that concern you. We are having a movie night. We showed the trailer last week. Uh, the movie we shown will, is Trauma Comes Home. It will be on Sunday, uh, August the 20th, and it will be at 6 o'clock. Okay, 6 o'clock, and so that's when we will show the movie the building will be open at 5 o'clock if you'd like to come and fellowship and I bring food and sit with folks. And um, if you happen to be passing that little place in Springville, if the donut place is open, please stop and get a dozen. Those things are amazing. I had one of their donuts yesterday, praise the Lord. Actually, I had two of their donuts yesterday. I had one here and then one at the house. I could eat in that whole box. Aren't donuts so wonderful? Anyway, so uh, 5 o'clock, we will open up the building, and uh, it will be an opportunity for you to fellowship uh, with other people here and then show the movie at 6 o'clock. I also want to make mention of baptism. We will have baptism uh, on September the 17th. That will be the day that we have baptism. And so if you are a person who's interested in discussing a baptism, you have not been baptized, but you want to be, I'd love to sit down and talk with you about that. And I've had all different ages. I've had children, I've had youth, I've had middle-aged adults, and I've had mature adults that I've baptized. And so I uh, look forward to that. I think it's a wonderful service. It's a great opportunity for us to give all the glory to the Lord for the salvation of these folks. And so I, I encourage you, if you have not been baptized, to consider that uh, this time. I wanted you to uh, take your Bibles and go with me to Colossians, the first chapter, Colossians chapter 1. Um, at least for three weeks, we're going to do a little series on the lesser known folks in the Bible, um, those who aren't really discussed a lot, who don't receive a lot of ink, so to speak, but who I believe to be very, very important, and an encouragement for all of us that 
everyone in the body of Christ is important. And God has um, placed each of us in the body for his purposes. And so I wanted to just kind of introduce you to the one that we'll be looking at. I would ask you that you would pray for me. Um, I'm studying three different books of the Bible. And the Lord has not given me clarity yet as to which one that he wants me to go through. Probably we'll do that um, after Labor Day is what I'm thinking. And so um, for those of you who are waiting anxiously to get back into a book, um, then that's coming. But um, just pray with me. I've got three on my plate that I've been wrestling through. I think I'm down to two. And um, so I just ask you to just pray with me about that. I would like to go through these particular books that I'm choosing or that the Lord's leading me to, is better said, are longer books. And so I'm probably going to approach it a little bit different in terms of uh, I will go verse by verse and section by section, but probably land the plane just in certain sections uh, depending on how the Spirit of God uh, leads me. So I would ask you to pray about that with me because that concerns you. It's not just me. And so... uh, the Lord has had me in a couple of, specifically a couple of books that are really, really important that I think um, certainly speak to the times that we live in and some of the issues that we face uh, as a church in this culture. So this morning I wanted to direct your attention to a fellow that, um, his name's Epaphras or Epaphras. I've heard both. I like Epaphras. It's just a little bit easier to say. So that's what I'm going to call him. One day I may have to apologize to him. But nonetheless, um, Epaphras is the one that we're going to talk about this morning. I want to uh, read uh, this morning chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Uh, If you could please stand as we read the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. May the Lord take his word. And uh, place it into our hearts and our minds uh, this morning. Let's pray uh, together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be with other believers 
to be able to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To be able just to carve out a few moments in our day to be able to worship together. What a privilege that is. I pray that we would um, leave today encouraged as we um, go out into the world and have opportunities to represent you. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds are ready as we come now to the time of singing, as we lift our voices to you. May um, the Lord Jesus uh, be praised, and it's in his name I pray. Amen. Standing, uh, because we're going to sing a song about standing. Uh, we say, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Uh, and then, the, but we can count on his promises. Thad closed his sermon out last week with uh, reading the words to standing on the promises of God. I was hoping he was going to sing it. At that point, we needed a little comedy relief. But, but at that time, but no, he actually does pretty good. But anyway, but, uh, but it's a great song. We haven't sung it in a long, long time. Just an old gospel song. And let's, uh, let's just stand on the promises right now. Let's sing together. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages and His praises ring. Glory in the highest light shall then see. Standing on the promises of God I cannot fail. Standing on the promises of cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the
Because God is faithful in all that he does. Great song that we want to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Let's sing together.
hope as we sing that song that you could say that. You could sing that song to the Lord. Say, Lord, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Because he has always been faithful. Always been faithful. And we can rely on him through even the worst times in our life. We want to sing an old hymn. Um, it is well with my soul. Favorite song of mine, I know that. The story behind it is even more incredible, and I'm not going to go through the whole story. The writer of this song went through a tremendous loss in his life with his daughters and his wife who went down in a ship. And anyway, so he asked, the, he asked to be taken to the place where the ship went down. And at that point, right at that place is where he wrote the song of uh about uh it is well with my soul how many of us can go through devastating things like that but yet claim it is well with my soul a person who knows the lord who trusts the lord who knows that it through through good times and bad times god is faithful we can stand on his word we can stand on who he is that's what this song is all about uh, we're going to sing the song, and if you want to sing with us, that's great, because it's a wonderful song. It is well with my soul.
asked me if I could pray after singing that song. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, you know, before I pray, ask yourself, is it well with your soul? Is it? You can know today that it is through trusting him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. The second verse of that song tells us that our sin, not just part of it, but all of it was nailed to the cross. And he bore our sin for us. And we thank you for that. He bears our sin. And now he imputed to us his righteousness. We thank you for that and for the relationship we have now with you through him and because of that relationship we're a family we are brothers and sisters in you and we thank you for that we thank you for this fellowship not only here but the fellowship with your church worldwide that one day whew, One day, we'll be rubbing shoulders with folks we've never seen. They're going to look different, have come from different cultures, different languages, but we'll be praising the same Lord God. And we thank you for that. Father, for this time, as we Set aside this portion of our worship to listen to your word. I pray for our pastor that you would use him by your spirit and that he would be sensitive to your spirit as he speaks and that we, as we listen, that your spirit would help our ears, not just our physical ears, but our spiritual ears to hear what we need to hear and to apply. Thank you for what you're going to be doing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a year today since my friend Andy went to be with the Lord. And his... Um, testimony at the end of his life was the song that the choir sang today, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, I was thinking about that as the choir was singing that, you know, really, we all need to have that testimony at the end of our life and with certainty say, It is well with my soul. Um, I trust that's true for you. I assume in an audience of this size that there may be some that have never trusted in Christ as their Savior and maybe today could be that day of salvation. 
So one of the things that you're not privileged to is my study. And you don't sit with me and you don't deliberate with me. And I, I, I don't know that I've ever invited you to do that. Um, I don't know that I would ever invite you to do that. But I might. Um, it's not easy to determine at times what the Lord wants you to do. Um, you say, with well, that, there's 66 books, pick one. Well, that's not always easy to do either. Um, because all 66 are worthy of our time and effort. And as I said earlier, I'm down to two, I believe, to three. I think maybe two that the Lord wants me to go through. And I'm looking forward to that time. But in the meantime, I've been praying about, you know, what, Lord, what do you want me to do? It was very clear that he wanted me to handle this issue of worship the last couple of weeks. And then he began to direct me into um, a land, uh, an unknown land, so to speak. Um, I've always been interested in the, at the, the end of Paul's letters have always interested me. Um, he wrote over half the New Testament. And in some of his letters, um, he mentions different folks that were a part of the ministry. And I've just always been taken by that. Uh, there's so much emphasis put on Paul and Timothy and Luke and others. And it's like, well, what about these lesser known folks? You know, they certainly had a part in the ministry. And um, is that showing up on a full screen? It is. Back there, it's not a full screen. Just wanted to make sure y'all are good to be able to see that. Um, it's always just interested me to think about how the Lord put together all the pieces of the puzzle. And in Paul's time, there were different folks that were involved in the ministry alongside of him, men and women. Um, and it's just um, amazing to me how God just put all those pieces together. And we live in a different, obviously a different time, a different century. But it's no accident that we're sitting in this room together. Right? And that God has something for you that he wants you to accomplish for him. You have your place. You may not be in the ring of honor, so to speak, but you have your place. God has something for you, and at the end of your life, something will be said about you. And we're led into the window of Epaphras' life, and if you're going to sum up Epaphras... Some might look at his life based on just the few references we have and say, prayer warrior. And that would be accurate. But there's more about his life in just a few verses. Now, for some of you, you may be sitting out there going, Thad, this doesn't interest me at all. Well, okay, we'll you know, draw, do whatever it is you do for the next 30 or 40 minutes. But what I trust that you will do is consider the fact that it's not just these folks that were in the body of Christ. But if you're a believer today, you're in the body of Christ. And you have a purpose. And God has a place for you. We tend to focus on those who are more known, even in the church today. I mean, you think about the number of pastors that you listen to during a week. Well, they aren't the guys that are preaching out in 
the little highways and byways in these states. These are guys who are preaching in big churches around the country and around the world. And you're like, hey, did you hear his sermon this week? Or did you hear his sermon this week? And it's all the known people. And we could name them, but we won't. But what about the lesser known? You ever driven in the country and thought, that little church right there has a pastor and people. And those pastor, that pastor and those people are serving the Lord. They're making a difference. You ever, you ever done that? I've done that. I've done that actually with Bill White. Bill White and I have driven a lot of places together. And I remember taking one particular drive and we're driving around. I'm like, Ben, Bill, look at that church and that church. And, you know, there are believers all around the world. And God has a place and a purpose for these believers. And God has a place and a purpose for you. And so the next couple of weeks together, we're going to look at those who are less known. And so um, I'm just warning you, fair warning, that's what we're going to do. But I want to encourage you with this verse, which is one of my life verses. I, I love this verse. It's written to a group of people did, that did not have their act together in the context, the Corinthian church. They had a lot of issues. And when it came to spiritual gifts, they were more concerned about those who were up front and more of the showy gifts, if you will, and those who had maybe the lesser gifts as they viewed it, well, you know, they didn't deserve the ink and that kind of thing. I want to be the guy up front. That was the Corinthian mindset. And Paul uses the, uh, the human body as an analogy, and he says, hey, listen, every single part of the body is important. Do you believe that? I don't know. Let me ask that again. Do you believe that? So even these young people who are in the body of Christ are important to the body. Believe that? Young people, I think about you a lot. And I pray for you. And I'm praying that you'll stay the course. I could talk to them for the next 30 or 40 minutes. But I had an opportunity to teach them today in Sunday school. It was great. Enjoyed being with them. Told them next time I needed to bring them a biscuit. I realized that they need biscuits, right? Donuts, something, right? So this verse, Paul says, but now God has placed the members. Now that's each and every one, he says. Each one of them in the body, the body of Christ, just as he desired. So you are in the body of Christ if you belong to Christ. And he's placed you and he's given you purpose. And not all of you are teachers, Thank the Lord for that. Not all of you are encouragers, but we need encouragers, don't we? We need servants. We need all types of folks within the body of Christ. And the Lord has given each and every one of us gifts that we might serve Him. And we might not be those who are known well on earth. But can I tell you something? You're known by your Father. And he expects you and he expects me to be in line with what his desire is for us. No excuses. We don't come to church just to attend church. If if that's it, then wow. We come to minister to one another. That's what we do. 
And so we need the legs to minister, as Paul would put it. We need the arms to minister, right? We need the feet to minister. We need people in the body of Christ, known well or not, to submit to what the Lord would have for them. And you may be like an Epaphras. You may be a person who was well, well known for his prayer life. You say, well, how important is that? Very, very important, essential. We talked a little bit about that in our Sun Life yesterday and talking about the importance of having a prayer base in your church, people who are praying. And I gave him the example or illustration of, of people who can't attend church on a Sunday. Have you ever thought about those folks? who can't get out, who maybe have folded their arms and thought, Lord, what of use am I anyway? I've sat with these folks. Wouldn't it be nice if, if we were able to sit with them and say, hey, listen, you may not be able to get out. You may be much more restricted than, than you are used to, but we need you to pray for us in this ministry. We need you to pray for this family, Right? You're like, oh, Thad, I don't, I don't identify with that. I don't understand that. Well, I can promise you this. I visit folks who can't get out, who belong to Christ. And they're not useless. They're useful. And so I want you today, if nothing else you hear, God wants to use all of us in the body of Christ ultimately for his glory to function in a capacity that might, we might minister to those that we come in contact with. So I got to thinking about the knowns and lesser knowns, and it brought me to an analogy. Some of you are going to like the analogy. Some of you are absolutely going to hate the analogy. I'm not too fond of the analogy, but I thought it might give you a mental picture of where we're going in this, these few weeks. Now, it pained me to type Nick Saban. Just to let you wonderful Alabama fans know that. But I thought it was a, a good analogy of, of kind of where we're heading in this series. Well, everybody knows Nick Saban, right? Even if you're not an Alabama fan, you know Nick Saban. I know what some of you are even thinking right now. What are you going to say about Nick Saban? Don't worry, it's all good. Not going to go off on a trail you're not going to like. I don't know him personally, but I know who he is. I know he has a large influence. Would you agree with that? Large. It's something about being known that goes with that. Large influence. He has a large, large influence. Do you know without telling people to write a check, people write a check just because of Nick Saban? Did you know that? Shake your head. That's the truth. And they, they'll, they'll stroke a check and not even think twice about it. But it's Nick Saban. It's the cause of that. Well, these, there's three guys in his life. If you read a little bit about Nick Saban, and I did, which was a little painful as well. But it was very educational um, to see where he came from. Um, kind of the things that he grew up valuing. And I can't I have time to tell you all the story, but... Those three guys that are connected at the top to Nick Saban have been important in his life. Probably one you would question would be Tony Dungy, if you're familiar with who Tony Dungy is, because he's a believer in the Lord, got a great testimony. But did you know that Nick Saban has known Tony Dungy for a long time? 
Did you know that? You didn't know that, did you? But he did. Uh, Tony Dungy was a defensive back, and he was a coach with the Pittsburgh Steelers under Chuck Knoll. See that other name on there, Chuck Knoll? And when um, Nick Saban was a GA at Kent State, he would visit the Steelers camp. Now, you guys familiar with the, well, some of you young ones, you're not going to be unless you've been reading. But Chuck Knoll was the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers when they were in their heyday. They won four Super Bowls, I think. Beat my Cowboys a couple of times. Very painful. Um, in fact, I don't know if you knew this, but um, Nick Saban played with a linebacker uh, at Kent State, uh, Jack Lambert. I mean, you, you, you read stuff, you find out stuff. And so um, Nick Saban was connected to Chuck Noll and Tony Dungy when they were both at Pittsburgh. And he talks about Chuck Noll and he talks about Tony Dungy. In fact, he's had Tony Dungy down to Tuscaloosa. How, how can that be a bad thing, right? That's a good thing. He needs more of Tony Dungy there. We need to pray that he'll invite Tony Dungy every year. So those guys at the top, Chuck Knoll, Tony Dungy, and Bill Belichick, who has been the most influential person in his life, he would, he's said that by testimony. Um, and I think that even includes his parents. He would say that Bill Belichick has been the most influential person in his life. Well, even if you came in this room and you didn't even know who these four were, I guess I should do that here. These four were, you know Nick Saban, and these three guys are very well known from the past and even the present, okay? What about these? You know who those are? Any of you ever heard of them? Any of you heard of Don James? A few, okay? Earl Keener? One, one. It's better than none. And George, George Pearls. But how many of you heard of Bill Belichick? Okay. So you do a comparison. You're like, man, there's a lot of people that know who Bill Belichick is. I don't really care too much for him either. That's a side point. <clears throat> but nonetheless, connected to all those guys, very well known, known by the public. You go out there and you mention any four of those names, people are going to know who they are. You go and mention these three on the bottom, not so much. But did you know they contributed mightily to who Alabama fans would say Nick Saban is as a successful coach? That it wasn't just all about Nick Saban. Nick Saban couldn't do it by himself. And by the way, just to interject this, the Apostle Paul couldn't do it by himself either. Are you listening to me? So this is how, how, this is how it's going to work out as we talk about it. Don James. He was under Don James... This is Nick Saban, not the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Don James um, was coach at Kent State. You know what Saban learned from him? They didn't call it this back then, but he learned process. How many of you heard Saban talk at press conferences about process? He does. <clears throat> right? I told you it was painful. Much better when I got to the other parts. But under Don James, he learned process. Now, Earl Keener was his high school coach. Um, I didn't realize Saban quarterback, but he did. <laughs> they have this one little place I was reading, and they're playing the state championship, and Saban walks to the sidelines, and he says, um, he's talking to the coach, and they're going back and forth, 
And they asked Saban, you know, hey, what were you thinking when you walked over to Earl Keener when he was talking to you about that particular time in the game? He said, I was wanting him to say, call this play. And can't you see Saban? He's got that face now. Well, he learned from um, Don James' process. Earl Keener was his high school football coach, and testimony from Saban about him is he learned work ethic. He'd have to say, Saban's a worker. He's a worker. All right, those guys, if you ever thought about this, I know this is not the point of our morning, but the sacrifices that are made by these coaches a lot of times in relationship to family. Well, there's a lot that goes on there. Also, he said he learned toughness from Earl Keener. And one more thing about Earl Keener that you might not know is that Saban certainly learned from him because we've seen it. Earl Keener was a screamer. How many of you know that Nick Saban can be animated at times, even to the point where we might even say he's a screamer. I mean, when his blood pressure is going crazy and he's over that little guy. So he learned a lot from Earl Keener, even as a high school student. And then George Pearls. You know what you learned from him? Organization and leadership. Would you say Saban's organized? Oh, yeah. Leader? He is. Might not like him, but he is. He was the defensive coordinator when Chuck Noll was coaching the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he would let Saban come as a GA and kind of walk around and see what they did and learn from the guys. One of those guys he, that was playing at the time was Jack Lambert, and he was learning from him. And, and Tony Dungy had said in the testimonial that, that Dungy, when Nick would show up, I called him Nick, <laughs> when Nick would show up, that he would let him walk around with him and let him get in, go into meetings and just learn from him. And as I thought about Epaphras, it just brought me to the mindset that Epaphras wouldn't be in the top, but he'd kind of be at the bottom. So I put together a little bit of a picture for us to see. The Apostle Paul is front and center in the New Testament. Right? Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's front and center. I think sometimes, I don't think Paul would like this either. Sometimes I think he's talked about so much, he's treated like this little God. The Apostle Paul, and we know he had weaknesses. He talks about them. He says, the very things I don't want to do, I'm doing. Right? He he had issues as a Christian. Um, so those around him, we were some of the closest would have been Barnabas, Luke, Timothy, Silas. We kind of know a little bit about them. And if I gave you the assignment and I said, hey, write me a little bit of a paragraph about Barnabas, you could probably do that. Or about Timothy, you could probably do that. Or about Luke, you could probably do that. Or about Silas, that might be a little harder, but you could do that. But what about the ones on the bottom? What's you writing about them? Well, they were connected to Paul's ministry in his life. You know, it's kind of like I look at the church and I go, okay, if you're sitting out there in the audience today, you're going, okay, there's the pastor and then there's the elders and there's the deacons and, and, and then, then, you know, there's some of the key leadership. But where, do, where am I? Am I even on the page? And my answer is yes, you're on the page. You're on the page. You belong. You need to know that. Demas, Epaphras, Phoebe, you know where they are in the Bible? Do you know what's said about them? Do you really know what's said about them? And then the one that I want to talk about today is Epaphras because I think of all of them that are lesser known, I kind of, I don't know, I'm attracted to his life. So 
That's all I know to say to you. So I wanted to give to you some things about Epaphras that come right from the Bible. So they're not made up. <laughs> I'm not going to give you my opinions. I'm going to give you what the Scripture tells us about Epaphras this morning. So just like a brief sketch that you need to know about his life. And I'm going to go through this and... Um, Hopefully you'll be able to take away and learn, have learned a little bit more about Epaphras. He's mentioned three times in the letter to the Colossian church. He's mentioned in chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras. We'll talk a little bit more about that, what they learned from him in just a few moments. And then you go to chapter 4, in verses 12 and 13, and you see Epaphras' name again. Epaphras, who is one of your own. All right, bond slave of Christ Jesus sends you his greetings. Why is he having to do that? Where is this poor guy, right? I mean, we believe, as we're going to see, he's from Colossae. Where in the world was he? Why is he, Paul, saying, hey, he sends his greetings? <laughs> well, we'll see that in just a moment, all right? So he's mentioned three different times in this particular book. Second thing I want you to see is that um, it appears that Epaphras was from Colossae in Asia Minor, okay, since his name appears in the letter to the church. Um, also, Paul refers to him as one of you. So he was among the people there at Colossae, which was in the Lycus Valley. Uh, there are three cities that are mentioned in that valley that are mentioned in this particular letter. Uh, we probably are familiar more with one of them than we are the other two. But in chapter 4, it tells us that um, uh, Paul mentions two other cities, Hierapolis and Laodicea. Well, how many of you are familiar with Hierapolis? Probably not so much. But what about Laodicea? Oh, yeah. We're familiar with Laodicea, aren't we? What do we think about when we think about Laodicea? You're neither hot nor cold, but you're what? You're lukewarm. Right? What's interesting is it appears that Epaphras has connection to all of these churches. To Colossae, to Hierapolis, to Laodicea. You're like, well, hold on a second. I mean, if this guy had that much, you know... Popularity. Well, he should be like maybe on that little wheel there. He should be where Timothy and all them are. Well, I don't know because he's not really ever hardly talked about. How many sermons have you ever heard on Epaphras? <coughs> or Demas or Phoebe? You say, well, why in the world would you want to preach a sermon on just those guys? Because every one of you in here need to know that as a member of the body of Christ, God has something for you. And it's not to come in and be a spectator on a Sunday morning, right? It's to be involved. There's a lot of spectators. Think about the number of spectators on a Sunday morning. There are a bunch of them. And I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about people in general who look at church as an activity. Let me tell you what the church is. It's an assembly of believers. It's a living organism, Right? In essence, really, we all belong to the Lord who are in Christ, but you're important in my life. You're important to the believer that's sitting next to you. 
How important was Epaphras to Paul? Extremely important. In fact, I didn't really understand how important until I began to study this. So he refers to, to Epaphras as, as he's writing. He says, you know, greetings from him. He's one of you. He belongs to you. How do you hear that? If I say, Phil Hansen, Hansen is one of us. Corey Cooper is one of us. Right? Tracy Johns is one of us. You like that? You should. Should. Right? So we start naming all the believers in here. We're a part of a body. And God wants us to function in that capacity. This is a very personal um, phrase. He's one of you. Right? Listen, the body of Christ is a special, special picture. None of us put the body of Christ together. Are you listening to me? None of us do that. There's the head of the body who is Christ and there is the body who is his church. It's his living organism. So he was one of them, but he was known by those in Hierapolis and Laodicea as well. Um, Colossae was in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. Um, you think about, um, it was 120 miles, I think, from Ephesus. Well, how many of you know more about Ephesus than you do Colossae? Mm-hmm. How many of you think about the Ephesian church maybe even more than you do the Colossian church? Oh, sure. But in that Lycus Valley, you had other churches there, and Laodicea and Hierapolis was one of them. I want to show you a little video. I ran across this guy. I really like him. I can't remember his name. That's awful, isn't it? It's called Drive Through. It's a video thing, production. This guy goes around and he goes to different places. And he goes from Acts through Revelation. And um, I wanted to show this little video. He gives you a little bit of um, understanding as to why Paul wrote this letter, okay, and he brings in Epaphras. I, don't, I didn't pick him because he, he says Epaphras like I did because there's other guys that had videos that said Epaphras. I'm like, I don't like that. But this guy really um, <clears throat> does a good job of just kind of summarizing Colossae. So we need to get a picture in our mind that this is where Epaphras was, but not all the time, okay? He had connections in, um, with the people in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And as we're going to see in just a few moments, he obviously also had a, had a connection to the Apostle Paul. You say, well, where'd that come from? It's a good question, isn't it? Because Paul didn't, have, he's not the one that started the church or found the church at Colossae. Do you know that? It wasn't Paul. Paul. Those guys were strangers to the Apostle Paul. So for Epaphras, Paul became very, very critical. I believe that there's an indication when Paul was in Asia Minor in his third missionary journey, that's where he came, Epaphras came to Christ under the ministry of Paul. It's what makes sense. 
I'm not saying that it's gospel, but it makes sense that that's where he would have met him because of what Epaphras does, um, as we're going to talk about in just a few moments, what he does um, in, in meeting up with Paul is really incredible when you think about it. So can we play that video that just kind of shows you a little bit of background about Colossae? Throughout the Mediterranean region, ancient sites are being discovered, rediscovered, and ultimately excavated that point to the accuracy of the Bible. New discoveries are made every day. That's why I do what I do. I get to drive through biblical history at locations like this that are still being unearthed, and there's so much left to discover. So let's get back in the car and drive 10 miles or so down the road, and I'll show you what I mean. Well, actually, it's up that hill right there, or in the hill, or under my feet. It's all around here. You see, Colossae has never been excavated, so it makes it a little hard to visualize. Ancient Colossae was rediscovered here in 1836, but was never excavated. Surveys and some random discoveries here have yielded around 30 inscriptions, over 150 coins, and the identification of a few structures. But the money, the politics, and, well, the archaeologists have yet to come together for an actual dig. This entire expansive area of dirt is Colossae, where Paul sent his New Testament letter known as Colossians sometime between 58 and 62 AD. The church here was struggling with its understanding about Jesus Christ, and Paul delivered an incredible teaching on his identity. In one verse, Paul said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. Paul then went on with an ethics lesson of sorts and a warning against mixing pieces of other religions, other worldviews with Christianity. This is one of my favorite verses. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceitful philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Colossians 2, 8. Although Colossae was the smallest of the three ancient cities in the Lycus Valley, Paul probably sent his letter to the church here because of his personal relationships with Epaphras and Philemon. Scripture tells us that Epaphras was the first Christian to preach the gospel in Colossae, and Philemon hosted a house church here. There's a really short book in the New Testament called Philemon. It's actually a letter from Paul and Timothy to their friend Philemon, who lived here at Colossae. Now for me, it's one of those really short books in the Bible with weird names that sometimes it's easy to sort of skip over. But when I come to the actual places and walk where the actual people in the Bible walked, it gives me an entirely new appreciation for these little known books in the Bible. 
And now that you know a little bit more about the historical and geographical context for Philemon, you should read that letter for yourself. It's only about 500 words. Look at these ancient columns and other artifacts just popping out of the ground. All of this is just waiting to be discovered and explored. As I visit places like this, my hope is that some of you will be inspired to come yourself and have some adventures of your own. Who knows what lurks right beneath us? Colossae is just one example of many locations throughout the Mediterranean region that have yet to be explored. He has some great videos. <clears throat> I'd encourage you. <laughs> I don't know his name. <laughs> but now, now you know what he looks like. <clears throat> but I would encourage you to kind of look at that. Um, you know, Colossians. I, I had another video I was going to show you, but I didn't have time. But <clears throat> at the time that Paul wrote this, um, Colossae was, was going through a financial turmoil. And um, if you kind of do a little bit of research and history on it... Um, there's a lot of uh, language in the book of Colossians that are their financial terms. And there's a reason for that, right? I and mean, these books are put together uh, not by happenstance, but the Lord, as he let the Holy Spirit uh, work in these men's lives, wrote. And so he's writing about something they can identify with. Um, he talks about inheritance. Well, these guys would have understood that. There were financial things that were going on. Um, it, shortly after the letter was delivered, and I don't know exactly the year, I don't know that they're certain on this, there was a major earthquake in Colossae, and it did a lot of destruction, a lot of ruin came as a result of that. And in fact, isn't it interesting as you go to the book of Revelation that um, when you think about the churches in Asia Minor, Colossae's not even mentioned. Um, so it could be that it didn't even exist at that point. Um, but we do know that it did exist, and it was important. And we do know that Epaphras was a part of that. <clears throat> now, you heard him in the video mention uh, Philemon. Well, Philemon and Colossians are like sister books, if you will. And um, Paul wrote them from prison, as we're going to talk about in just a moment. But he wrote from prison in, in Rome. And as he writes these letters, then he mentions Epaphras again in the book of Philemon. That little short book, and I'm going to show you that reference in just a moment. But remember, we said in, in chapter 4, Paul refers to him as one of them. Well, why would he say that? Partly because he was amongst them, but I believe partly because he was the one that delivered the good news of the gospel to those people, right? He gave them the gospel. According to the Apostle Paul, writing a letter during his first imprisonment, Paphras appears to be the one who shared the gospel with the Colossians. If you look down in in, in your Bibles, it says, which has come to you, which is the gospel, just as you learned from Epaphras. So we could attack the New Testament. We go, it's Paul, it's Paul, it's Paul, it's Paul. Not here. It's Epaphras. That doesn't mean that Paul wasn't a part of his life. He obviously was because of the action that Epaphras takes in going to see Paul. But the reality is that Epaphras was with these people. Um, he was the one who initially shared the gospel with these folks uh, as they came to Christ. And then it's believed that he's the one that started the church there uh, in Colossae. So 
it just so excited me because I'm like, you know, there are churches that pop up all over the place. Who are these people that start these churches? People like Epaphras, people like that, who was so excited about his new faith after he had been with Paul, likely at Ephesus, getting saved. He goes back to his village of people and says, hey, you need Christ. Isn't that good? And from that comes this church at Colossae in the Lycus Valley. Um, okay. The fourth thing that we see, and this is just for your information with Epaphras, but it's pretty good stuff. Epaphras is described by Paul as a fellow servant. That word in the Greek language, for those of you who are interested, is a different word than he uses just in that next little phrase, faithful servant. Those words servants, different words. The word fellow servant is the word soon dulan. It means um, slave of. It, it describes a person who is all in with the Lord. The soon is like a prefix that is there for emphasis. So he is really a slave of the Lord. He's the one who is all in. All his, all his eggs are in one basket, and that is doing what the Lord wants him to do. So Paul describes him as a fellow servant, as one who is working with him, but he also describes him as a servant of Christ in chapter 1, verse 7. That word is a different word. Uh, one is a is, is a focus on being a slave of the Lord. The other is a focus on being a servant of others. Now that's important because Epaphras was both. He was a, an all-in slave for Christ who served people. Mm, that'll preach, right? I can just preach this message just on that. So what does the Lord require of us? I don't think any different. That we're all in. That we're all in. Slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ committed to serving others. And Epaphras saw that. He got the picture, right? He understood it. And Paul commends him to this group of people that he was with there uh, in Colossae. So, wow, just what a, what a tremendous testimony, right? If you didn't know anything about Epaphras, part of the ink that Paul used was to describe him as one who was all in under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't want to confuse that. Lordship is under the heading of sanctification, not justification. He was all in on living the Christian life for the Lord. All in. Right? He made that decision, that choice to say, hey, I'm all in, Lord. And Paul commends him for that. But he was also a servant of the body. A servant of the body. So you might be one sitting here today wrestling with those things. Hey, am I a slave of, of the Lord Jesus? Am I all in in what he wants for my life? And am I willing to serve other people? Well, obviously Epaphras was. Wow, what a, what a testimonial. Um, I mean, if you're going to be in uh, the New Testament, this is not bad, is it? Um, the fifth thing that we see about his life, pretty interesting. Epaphras is also mentioned in Philemon with an interesting tag. That's something I came up with. Next to his name. And the tag is, my fellow prisoner. You say, why is that even important? Oh, it's very important. Remember when he was talking in the video and he said, he used that verse in chapter 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. 
These guys did not, they were starting to be influenced by those who did not disseminate a proper picture of Jesus Christ. And they needed to have that proper picture. Um, Epaphras was so concerned, you know what he did? He took a Delta flight to Rome. That's what he did. He was so concerned about these false teachers and the influence they were having in the life of these believers, he saddled up that donkey and went a thousand miles. He took the bus, whatever it is he did, he went a thousand miles to Rome. You say, oh, that, that's not that far. Well, it's not that far for us. We can take Delta, right? We can, I don't like flying, but we can take Delta. We can take a bus. Pray about that before you do that. That's an awful way to go. But here's the reality. Whatever it was, camel, walking, boat, combination of land, whatever it was, he went because he understood how important standing on the truth was. Obviously, he didn't feel equipped enough to be able to handle the issue. And so instead of pride overtaking the man, he says, I'm going to Paul. Well, oh, that sounds great. That's a great plan, isn't it? And Paul's hanging out at the Riviera, and he's right. He's playing golf, and, and he's hanging out with his buddies. Is that what he's doing? No, he's not. He's imprisoned. We believe this to be his first imprisonment. Maybe house arrest, a little more freedom. But the bottom line is, he's in chains. Now, are you really going to go get help from a dude in chains? Is that what you want to do? Or are you going to go to a free man? You know where Epaphras went? To Paul. Why? The Spirit led him to go to Paul. He went a thousand miles to see Paul. And it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul would tag him in Philemon as my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. You say, well, that if he was from Colossae and he went to see Paul, why, why is there a different person delivering the letter to the Colossian believers? You know, it wasn't Epaphras that did that. You knew that, right? Chapter 4, verse 7, this is what it says. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, another just wonderful pronunciation of a name, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information. He's the one that delivered the letter, not Epaphras. Why? Epaphras, my viewpoint is, and there's different thoughts on it, but my viewpoint is that Paul's calling him my fellow prisoner because he's right there with him in chains. He can't go anywhere. You know what this brought to my mind? Man, Lord, you are so good. That doesn't make sense to you, does it? You know why the Lord's so good? Because even when some people are bound in chains, there are others that can do it. Mm. So it wasn't even Epaphras. It wasn't Paul. It was Tychicus who delivered the letter to the Colossian believers. But he calls him fellow prisoner. You know, there are people, in fact, at one point in Paul's life, he says, all have forsaken me. Not even, you know, only Luke is with me. So, yeah, to be connected to the Paul, that wasn't necessarily the greatest thing since sliced bread. It was difficult to be connected to the apostle who was willing to stand on the truth. A couple more things for you. Paul described Epaphras as having a resolute prayer life. This is kind of where most people would probably, if they were preaching the life of Epaphras, would say, well, this is all he was about. No, he's much more than this. this. But 
what the Bible does say about his prayer life is quite significant. Look in chapter 12, or chapter 12, chapter 4, verse, verse 12. Look what it says. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. Why is he having to do that? What did we just say? He couldn't go. Okay. He sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect. That word is mature. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So this is how he describes his prayer life. Three things. He's tireless. Man, he just prays and prays and prays and prays and prays and prays. prays. C.H. Spurgeon, you know what he said? He said, no man can do a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. What's what's Epaphras doing? What's Paul saying Epaphras is doing? He's praying continually for you. We don't need to overlook. These are priceless, guys. These are the gold nuggets in Scripture that sometimes people don't even look at. He was single-minded, laboring earnestly for you. He was so concerned for those that he belonged to. That's what Paul indicates here in this verse, verse 12. He was single-minded. And then we see, lastly, about his prayer life, he was intentional. You know, there ought to be some intentional thought to the way that we pray. That we would pray that people, hey, listen, let's just pray Scripture. That we would pray that people, believers here, would grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that okay to do that? That's what I believe exactly happened with this man, Epaphras. He was locked in. He was zoned in on this issue of prayer. Um, There's one more thing about Epaphras that, you know, I don't know that you'll, I don't know what you'll think about it, but I'll absolutely love it. Paul described Epaphras having a shepherd's heart. He loved his people. He loved his people. Look in chapter 4, verse 13. Now, these, this is Paul writing about this man, Epaphras. He says, for I testify for him. He's testifying on his behalf that he has a deep concern for you. That's nice to hear, isn't it? Somebody coming up and saying, hey... This so-and-so has a deep concern for you. They care about you. They care about what's going on in your life. Paul's saying that to this group of believers in Colossae. But, oh, look at this. It's not just those in Colossae. He says, I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. (laughs) Hey, guys, can I tell you something about Epaphras? His ministry wasn't just here, it was there. His ministry wasn't just in Colossae, it was in Hierapolis and Laodicea. And God used that man. You say, yeah, but he's not the top ten. Oh, well, God used him. Yeah, but he's not Paul. Oh, well, God used him. He's not Pastor so-and-so. I believe he probably was one of the shepherds, if not the shepherd, as we would say, at Colossae. Epaphras was committed to the things of the Lord. He had a deep concern for those folks. And I, I wrote this, deep concern. This is the idea, if you look it up, the idea is that Epaphras had a profound, intense anguish for the believers in Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. Why did he have that 
anguish. Why? He wanted them to have a proper concept of Christ. That's why. That's what the book's about. You need to have a proper concept of Christ. You need to be focused on the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporal. All those things that he writes about in the book of Colossians to these believers. Well, you might not be Nick Saban, and you're not. And you might not be Luke. And you might not be the Apostle Paul. And you hear the statement, the Lord uses any old stick, and that's true. You know what he wants? A willing stick. A lot of you know the story, but I don't care. I'm going to read it anyway. How many of you have heard of D.L. Moody? We've heard about D.L. Moody. We've heard about all of the accomplishments that that man had for the Lord. We think about Moody Bible, don't we? How many of you know who Edward Kimball was? Well, when Moody went to Boston as a 17-year-old in his uncle's store, his uncle made him go to Sunday school. You know his teacher was? Edward Kimball. You know what he did? One day, Edward Kimball, he was so just taken over by D.L. Moody that he went and visited him at the store that he was working at. This is what Kimball said. He said, I was determined to use his own words, meaning Moody's, to speak to him about Christ, about his soul, and started down to the store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go in or not. Because it was during business hours. He said, I thought my call might embarrass the boy. (laughs) And that when I went away, the other clerks would ask who I was and what did I want. He said, in the meantime, I had passed the store and discovering this, I determined to make a dash for it, as he put it, and have it over all at once. I wanted to get it over with. You know, the Lord put it on him. I'm going to go do what I'm doing. He said, I found him in the back part of the building wrapping up shoes. I went to him at once, putting my hand on his shoulder. He said, I made a plea for Christ. He said, I shared the gospel with D.L. I shared the love of the Lord Jesus with him and what the Lord Jesus had done for him. And you know what? D.L. Moody got saved that day. Make a little chart. D.L. Moody, all those people around him. Edward Kimball. Not known, but needed. Are you listening to me? Not known, but needed. You might not be known, but you're needed. Let's pray together. Lord, there's just so much in your word. I could stand here all day. They probably wouldn't sit here all day, but I could stand here all day and just talk about your goodness and how you work in the lives of people. I was thinking about my own tree this this week and thinking about all the different people that um, these folks don't know, but that you put in my life. And without you, without those folks, I wouldn't be standing here today. So let me just thank you for them. You know who they are. 
I pray you'd help us to think about that tree in our life. Who have been those people that have helped us down the road as a Christian? Not only introducing us to Christ, but helped us along the way. We just want to hopefully serve you better. I pray as we um, close that, uh, Lord, again, you'd receive the honor and glory in the name of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> to close out this service this morning, I'd like for us to learn a new song. So I'm going to start singing. I want you to sing along with me. It's pretty, pretty easy, but it's got great words to it, and it tells us who we are. Well, we're servant of the Lord, but it's through Christ alone. Through Christ alone is why we're saved and why we're here today. Let's sing together, please. Your word alone is solid ground, the mighty rock on which we build. In every line the truth is found, and every page with glory filled. Through faith alone we to you. We have no merit we can claim. Sure that your promises are true. We place our hope in Jesus' name. Gloria, Gloria, glory to God. Glory to God alone. In Christ alone we're justified. His righteousness is all our plea. Your laws demands are satisfied. His perfect work has set us free. Gloria, Gloria, glory to God alone. Gloria, Gloria, glory to God. By grace alone we have been saved. All that we are has come to you. Hearts that were once by sin enslaved, now by your power have been made new.
And as we come to you today, we join with saints of old to see. We lift our hearts as one in praise. Glory to Christ, our gracious King. Glory If you have a, a small group sheet that you fill that out and you sign it, we'd love for you guys to join small group. That's a great way to get to know folks here at Grace. All right? You are dismissed. Make sure you speak to... Oh, I know you're not dismissed. I'm sorry. The Alaska team, if y'all could come up here. We want to spend um, just a moment praying for you guys as you leave. Thank you, Brent, for waving your six-foot-six hand at me. <laughs> If you guys are going on the trip to Alaska. All right, we just want to have some prayer. The, the France team should be getting back, I think, on Tuesday. And so we pray for those guys if you think about them as they come back. If you're visiting with us, mission is very, very important to us. We have a lot of trips. Uh, we'll be hearing reports on those trips uh, in October, these uh, last four that have been taken. So let's pray for these guys. So who's the leader of this trip? Okay, way to go, Kevin. Appreciate you, Kev, very much. <laughs> While we stand, let's close in prayer. Make sure you speak to somebody before you leave today, all right? Let's pray. Father, we want to commit this Alaska team to you. And um, Lord, as we were talking this morning, you know, I think of Peter and Sarah and all the ministry there. And you not, might not put them in that top circle, but Lord, um, they're lesser known, but very valuable um, within the body of Christ. Thank you that we get to rub shoulders with our missionaries, and I pray that you would provide safety for uh, the team as they go. And uh, we look forward to hearing about what you're doing in Alaska uh, to further the church. And uh, so we just pray for the France team as well as they travel back Tuesday. We pray for safety for them, and uh, we just ask, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful to what you've called us as individuals to do. In all this, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Dismissed.